What guilt does the West bear in regards to the invasion of Ukraine by Russia? And can President Biden actually go toe-to-toe with the Kremlin? I'm Ismail Paisivico, and this is The Civic Podcast. Hello everyone and welcome again to a new episode of the Civic Podcast. So the day of today is Thursday the 24th of February and if you've been following a bit of the news you know that today, the day this episode will be uploaded, um, Russia just decided to invade Ukraine. They started to invade to invade Ukraine through uh, through military means. I mean we've been hearing about this now for, for quite some time, we've been hearing it was a possibility. I personally thought Maybe there was a chance of it, and it would have probably taken a lot longer. I thought negotiations were going to were going to last a lot longer. Uh, I think we can see now that Putin was never interested in negotiations, which is not surprising at all. At the end of the day, and we've known now for a long time that Putin wanted Ukraine. He wants Ukraine. He wants well, essentially, if he could, if he could choose, he would take all back the uh, ex-satellite states of the Soviet Union. And that's essentially his goal. Let's not forget that Putin indeed did work for the USSR back in the day. He used to be a KGB agent. Uh, KGB was like the central intelligence unit of the USSR for foreign uh, for foreign intelligence and domestic uh, security in lots of ways. So he was an agent for that. And, um, well, uh, he has a lot of interest in, in restoring, let's say, the, the past glory of the USSR, right? And at the time... Uh, when we go back a bit, uh, a bit before '89, before the uh, the fall of the Berlin Wall, and then the fall of the USSR. Um, consequently, after that, nobody actually knew what was going to be the f- biggest superpower to end up winning the Cold War. Uh, we didn't actually know whether it was going to be the United States or Russia. I mean, in retrospect, it seems a bit obvious, but at the time, nobody actually knew what was going to happen. And the two superpowers at the time was Russia. Well, the USSR and the United States. The United States prevailed, the free countries prevailed, liberalism prevailed, and communism failed. Now, this is not to say that Putin wants to take back communism specifically. I mean, I'm not sure about his actual social political ideas in some sense. I am sure that he is an authoritarian thug um, now sitting president of Russia. That I am sure of. Now, if he actually wants to go back to communist regimes, I'm not entirely sure. I think he's understood that that does not work. So um, I'm not as worried about that, but I'm so very worried about him actually being an authoritarian leader and wanting to take back a lot of ex-Soviet territory. Now, it starts with Ukraine, but if the West doesn't do anything now, what's going to stop Putin from advancing towards other countries and having a third world war? Again, I mean, that's essentially what's happening in the Second World War is that the Nazis and the, and the Soviets were, well, they got into some trade, um, into, not trade, uh, in, into some agreements in some sense, but they were essentially battling for lots of the same territory, right? And that's uh, why after their, their agreements fa- fell off because you can't really make a deal with a, with a thief, let's say, or with someone with no honor whatsoever. And again, there's no really honor in war. Just kind of uh, 
interesting how we still speak about war crimes, but but I guess that's a that's something else. So we are in war right now, and I don't think and why I want to get back to the West being weak and the West having actually a lot of we should bear the guilt of this happening to Ukraine right now of Russia invading. Uh, through military means a sovereign country the west does have some guilt because the west is weak the, the west is very weak nato is very weak the european union saying for every single thing some, something happens that can affect the eu or can affect democratic sovereign countries being our allies their answer is oh we are deeply concerned we are deeply worried we don't know what to do it's like they're, they're fidgeting at the slight chance of actual conflict and i think we've become too accustomed to to peace and to democracy and we've taken it for granted and that's had a big impact in in what priorities the west takes in terms of of political action or interests or even social issues i mean we've been worrying for so long battling amongst ourselves that in the end we're worrying about the actual big threats being China and Russia. I mean, China right now is probably having a big party. They, they had the big party already when 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 the US retreated from, uh, from Afghanistan in that horribly organized retreat that in the end was, was just to show, and again, this is why I'm saying that the West is very weak, that showed Putin and that showed China that the United States military is not being led by a competent commander-in-chief. It's not. Biden does not have the capacity to lead the United States or NATO member states into a conflict with Russia. Russia will prevail if Biden is leading that or any other Western country. As a matter of fact, I don't see anyone now actually being able, being strong enough, having the, forgive me for saying this, but the balls to go toe-to-toe -to -toe against Russia. Biden spoke a lot before the election saying, oh, Russia will never do this if I'm, in, if I'm in power. Russia will never do that. Well, the day has come and Russia has decided to attack. And they were never interested in negotiations. They were just waiting very patiently for the past two decades, three decades, to see when they could come back and take what they think is theirs. Now, Ukraine has been a big ally of the, of, of the European Union. And, and Western sovereign countries and democratic countries. They've been a big ally. We tried to out them in lots of ways. And they've helped us. And they've helped us in, in lots of ways, actually allowing uh, to push back Russian agendas into their own territory. And I think now is the time for the West to step up. Now is the time for EU, not just put economic sanctions, which have already been approved, I believe, but also military sanctions. And in comparison to a lot of people, I think this may be where I differ with with a lot of other people. That people don't really like foreign military action in some sense. I didn't either. Um, not that much in any case. I mean, I could understand it sometimes when it was needed. Uh, but at the end of the day, I always thought that better leave countries to deal with their issues and, and all of that. And uh, we shouldn't meddle too much because of the atrocities that Western countries have committed, uh, especially in the Middle East or in Africa or in um, Lots of different places where lots of innocent lives have been lost at the hands of Western countries, namely uh, the United States, one uh, 
it being the, the biggest military, of course, uh, military force, and them having the most troops deployed all around the world. So, but but that aside, this was until I had a conversation. So one of my earlier podcasts regarding what happened in 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 Myanmar with this uh, Burmese girl from from the Netherlands um, called Akari. So you can go and listen to that podcast if you like. I forgot what, what number it was, but it, it was regarding Myanmar and. From her perspective, she and the Burmese people, um, well, Burma and Myanmar is essentially the same country. Uh, long story short. Anyway, um, so her and the Burmese people wanted foreign action in their country. They wanted people with the resources, with the military, logistical, general knowledge, whichever kind of resource you need to actually win a war to go and help the people there against the tyrannical takeover of the country and after the coup d'etat, right? That's what they wanted. Why? Because they they didn't have anything to, de to defend themselves. They didn't have anything to take back the territory. And they wanted external action. And I can assure you that most Ukrainians right now want those that, of course, aren't pro-Russian, let's say. <laughs> of course, the pro-Russian Ukrainians, uh, they don't want uh, external military action. But I can assure, I can mostly assure you that those that those Ukrainians that still want the independence of Ukraine, that want Ukraine to be a sovereign nation, democratic nation, how it has been, will want the EU and NATO to step in and to defend them, how they've been helping them. And, I mean, this all came back, like, for years what Biden should have said or what the West should have said is that Ukraine entering NATO was never a possibility. That was one of the main issues. That Putin did not want NATO headquarters to be placed in Ukraine, just at his backyard, essentially. He did not want that. And it was never made 100% clear. It was in the past, but then again, negotiations were here and there uh, of the possibility of Ukraine entering NATO. Now, that wasn't a possibility until now. I think today has proven that there does have there does have to be a bit more consensus and a bit more cooperation between Western democratic countries, because there are bigger threats out there. There are bigger threats out there that are willing to take to take on military power and military action for the expansion of their country. I think we know well enough what expansionist regimes have done throughout the 20th century, especially through violence and military action all around the world. And we can't allow that to happen in free countries. It's something that lots of people have died before us actually try to preserve. And I think that because these people died back in the day, the, the minimum we owe them is to do the same thing and to protect what they preserved for years fighting uh, on the battlefront against Soviet Union, for example, or Nazi Germany in some ways. <coughs> Excuse me. So the West is very weak and we've allowed this. Biden has shown already that he cannot take on the USSR. And after what happened in Afghanistan, that in two days Kabul was taken, I think we're pretty much very near to the same situation happening right now in Ukraine. I think we're very near to, in, in just two days, Russia taking over the whole of Ukraine and the EU not even moving and keep wasting time on bureaucracy and negotiations where we've seen perfectly clear even even Putin has said there should be no western or 
external, but he meant mostly Western, of course, uh, intervention in this. This is our business with the Ukrainians. The EU and NATO has nothing to do with it. I tend to disagree. The Ukrainians want our help and we should give them our help. That's how it goes. They've helped us, we've helped them. Now, we shouldn't forget either the actual economic impact this is going to have. And the EU is a lot more worried about their actual energy source than saving a sovereign country. Now, if you, if you don't know, but probably you do know, a lot of, well, European gas comes from Russia. A lot of it, right? Actually, this is a really good book. I think I have it there. Okay, so Prisoners of, uh, of Geography of Tim Marshall. That's a very, very interesting book. Uh, it, it explains geopolitics quite well, honestly, um, on a world scale. And it explains what interests each country has with other countries. It explains some specific geographical landmarks that have helped a lot throughout wars, integrating territories, integrating countries, integrating continents, and so on and so forth. That's something that we need to understand a lot that I think, I think this is a pure hypothesis. Maybe true, maybe not, maybe it might be obvious, maybe it won't be so obvious for some or for others. But one of the reasons why the EU, that is mostly, well, I see when it comes to foreign policy in the EU, it's mostly Germany and France that have the final say. It has always been like that, and it's going to be like that. I'm not too concerned about that, but that's just the truth. That that is what's been happening, and that is what's happening. The smaller countries don't have a bigger say as these other, regardless of what we've been led to believe. Um, and again, I repeat, I forget. <laughs> I hate to have to justify myself all the time, but I think it's just it just seems fair, so I don't get um, misinterpreted. Um, I criticize the EU because I love the EU, and I think the only way we can actually improve it is by criticizing it at every chance we get. We need to hold it to high scrutiny and to high standards if we wanted to improve itself every single day. And that's why I always criticize the EU, because I think that's one of the best ways to improve it into the EU we want and the EU we should have, and the best way and have the best European Union for all of its member states where we all have the same rights and privileges and the same standards of living and every single country included uh, within the EU. And I think there's also quite a lot to do for other countries centered the EU, a lot of the Balkan countries. And now even we might be thinking about uh, Ukraine because what Biden did, uh, Biden, sorry, uh, Putin, is completely unacceptable and we need to give a lending hand to our Ukrainian friends. That's just the way it goes. And I think now even the negotiations for Ukraine entry in the EU is going to be a lot more serious. They're going to be a lot more serious because now we've seen that Putin is not even interested in negotiations. And I think that was the only reason why um, negotiations with the Ukraine entering the EU were always on standby because Putin was kind of... We were hoping that Putin, if we left Ukraine alone, that he wouldn't do this kind of thing uh, to Ukraine. We were wrong, of course, and I think now that's going to make uh, a big change in in future actions um, towards Ukraine and towards Russia at the same time. So right now, we can't be on the back foot anymore. We've been on the back foot for the past 20, 30 years. We've been too bothered fighting amongst ourselves, uh, calling our own nations and our own cultures racist and misogynist and attacking ourselves, essentially, when most of it is false. Some of it can be true, of course. I'm not saying, again, there's no racism, there's no misogyny, um, there's no bigotry in the West. There is, and quite some of it. But imagine how's that seen from from the outside when 
the citizens of every single country are fighting against each other for things that in the end most of them are just naturally um, consequential of 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 the natural condition like again being a victim there are lots of victims for lots of different reasons in society we're all a victim one way or another uh, towards a human condition towards nature um, some of the victims some are victims for other issues that might be humanly induced um, and if that's the case then humans should step in there and mediate or well, not not mediate but try to uh, try to alleviate sorry uh, that kind of let's say consequence negative consequence that those people may have and i think that is a good part where the welfare state can actually implement to its citizens right but if we fighting amongst ourselves that us knowing that we've achieved well not all of us know but i hope most of us do that we've achieved a very high standard of living and i count my lucky stars every day knowing that i wasn't that i wasn't born in a war zone have uh, quite a few friends that actually grew up and and lived uh, the Balkan Wars, and that was a lot more recent than, than than we might think. Western countries like Spain, France, the UK, Germany, except Eastern Germany, of course, but most of uh, Western European countries haven't had war in their own territory since forty four, since nineteen forty four, essentially, and forty five more or less um, when the Second World War ended. So we're talking about two, three generations later. And the recent wars we've had in the European continent have been one generation back. So a lot, lot more recent. And some people actually do realize how lucky we are to be born in a war-free zone. And I think the baby boomer generation was kind of the same. Uh, that's why people, life was good, was really good back then in, in, in most countries, apart from those that were actually under dictatorships, uh, like Spain, for instance. Um, but... It was life was good, and people realized that they were very lucky not to be in war anymore, and that they prevailed. They won, won the Second World War, and then again after that, the Soviet, um, sorry, uh, the Cold War in eighty nine, and those are really good times for lots of different countries. And Biden, well, not just Biden, which is kind of shocking because he even lived all that. I mean, he, he probably even lived the the American Civil War at this point, uh, with his age, but. He saw those things. He saw the fall of the Berlin Wall. He saw what the USSR was and and what they were capable of. And right now, it's just not in in any cognitive capacity to to be strict and to actually impose severe measures against Russia. I'm talking military measures. And I'm talking economic measures. Block them out. Dry them. Dr just dry them out. And of course. A lot of people in Russia that, that are not for what's happening right now in Ukraine, I mean, and really um, praise them, really praise them, because it, it takes a lot of guts to say what some, I've, I've been seeing a lot of, uh, of sports, of sports people, uh, very renowned football players, uh, tennis players from, from Russia speaking against the Kremlin and, and the Russian government. Um, so really praise them for doing that. It takes a lot of guts to say all of that in a country where essentially, well, you say that and the next day you won't be seen anymore. Uh, that's not that uncommon for authoritarian regimes, unfortunately. And authoritarianism is something that is coming quicker than we thought. And again, it's 
it just goes through cycles. And I think we're getting into this kind of new cycle. We saw what kind of measures even democratic countries themselves, like Canada, could take uh, very, very authoritarian measures, uh, being able to freeze all your personal assets without even a court hearing or a judgment, as a matter of fact, or due process. Uh, they can freeze all your assets. They could take you into custody for whatever reason whatsoever. Now they're planning on passing a bill. What it means is that you can get arrested if there's an intention of doing something, not of doing anything specific not of doing that thing specifically, but if they have any doubts that there was intention of doing something, you could have get you could have gotten arrested. Um, anyway, of course, intention, you can always get arrested for intention in some ways, but I'm speak, speaking specifically here, uh, I think it was COVID specifically, if you had intention of spreading misinformation or something like that. But anyway, lots of uh, very, very worrying uh, policies coming from a lot of Western countries. And again, Putin knows this. Putin knows that the West does not have what it takes to stop him. Talking about, I think it's probably the second or third biggest military power in the world. I mean, you have the, the US, it's still the first one, hope, um, luckily, um, with NATO and then China and Russia. And China and Russia will not fight against each other. I mean, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, right? So China's going to get on board with what Russia's going to do. And this is going to divide the world when they're done when the United States is completely crushed and Russia takes back the world stage, the, the place they so so long for, let's say, the place uh, they want to retrieve, they want to get back, that top one spot on a world stage as a big global power. When they, ta when they take that back, then again, they will divide the world with China. And I think, uh, and this is not to have an hyperbolic narrative I, I i don't want it to sound apocalyptic in some way but i do want it to sound worrying because i personally i mean it's not shocking but i didn't think russia was going to act so quickly and so swiftly in some way and without even hesitating like this has been going on for a month and now they're already invading ukraine talking about missiles bombs trucks, just military action all throughout Ukraine. And they want to take that territory. And they want to take that territory. The EU needs to act. And we need to deploy, well, the military, every single one of NATO to those territories, to Ukraine to help them out. And again, I'm not an expert in geopolitics. I'm not an expert in the Ukrainian conflict. I'm not an expert in Russian politics either or Russian conflicts but what I can say and what I'm pretty sure is that Putin wouldn't have, wouldn't have done this under Obama or even under Trump as a matter of fact and this is not to defend Trump or defend Obama this is just to say that he wouldn't have done it with them in power again Trump signed how many six seven peace agreements when he was there uh when he was in power six seven peace agreements which Again, that's quite a lot. I think he was the only president in the United States history that didn't start wars. That didn't start a war. Obama did plenty of that. A few wars he started. But then again, Putin wouldn't have even dared to do what he's doing right now with Obama in power. Neither would Trump. And voting in the West has consequences for other countries around the world. I mean, start thinking exactly what do we want? Do we want to preserve our democracy? Do want to preserve our rights? Do you want to preserve the freedom lots of people have fought before us? Or have fought for before us? Or do we just want to keep 
fighting amongst ourselves for for trivial things. It's just it's a bit worrying, in all honesty, um, the way the West just keeps keeps spitting on itself and well, stepping on its own toes essentially when you have Russia deciding now to invade Ukraine, a sovereign and democratic country, and they need our help. So if you want to learn more about the matter, don't come towards me. Google, check, ask people. I think that's the best way. Uh, I just wanted to say that I think the West holds a big, big, big fault in this. Yeah, I think they do. I think they do. The EU and the US, both of them. It'd be a lot more severe and not so deeply worried about some actions that have been happening in Russia or in any other part of the world, essentially, even uh, regarding China. But I think for today, uh, I'm going to leave it there. Really, you need to start thinking about what we actually want and what we want to preserve. And now, Ukraine needs our help. In any way we can, help them. Anyway, I'm going to leave that for today. Again, thank you very much, everyone, for listening. I'm Ismail Pai Civico, and this was The Civic Podcast. See you next time.